Welcome to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. League Apps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. On a mission to bring the benefits of sport to kids everywhere, they go beyond technology to provide leaders with professional development and relationship building, and to work with sports-based organizations to address issues of accessibility and equality. To learn more, find them at League Apps com or as league apps on all of the social networks now here's the host of the show longtime soccer broadcaster and voice of united soccer coaches dean linky today february 3rd is national girls and women in sports day this year is the 35th edition of the event which is organized by the women's sports foundation it's an opportunity to celebrate the accomplishments of female athletes, the positive influence of participating in athletics, and the continuing struggle for equality for women in sports. The United Soccer Coaches advocates for all, and they do such a great job advocating for women. Their new president, Ashley Fontes Comer, went to the new CEO, Jeff Van Dusen, and said, hey, let's move the podcast up a day early to align with National Girls and Women in Sports Day. That's exactly what we've done, and it's my honor to have eight amazing women on the show. Ashley Fontes Comer will set the table for today's show. Then we'll be joined by arguably the greatest female soccer player of all time, Michelle Akers, who is back in the game now as an assistant to Amanda Cromwell in the Orlando Pride of the NWSL. Jessica McDonald, what a story she is. So resilient, so powerful, with a wonderful message. And like Michelle Akers, she's also a soccer mom. She's on the show. The new president of the USL Super League, Amanda Vandervoort, also a former president of the association, has done so many great things for the game and to inspire young women. She's on the show. Atta Football is rolling, bringing European women's soccer to all of us. The founder, Esmeralda Negrone, joined Anna Witte on Podcast Row. She's on the show. Ali Trost has this massive following as a sideline reporter for Sporting KC. She works with KC Current. She has a soccer radio show. She's on the show. Speaking of big-time personalities, at just 16 years old, Anna Turi has this amazing podcast called Keep the Game Beautiful that she started when she was 13. She is wonderful. And then we end with the co-founder of the Girls Soccer Network, GSN, Jennifer Grusbach wraps up the show. Eight fantastic women doing amazing things to push the game forward and really open the eyes of so many young girls and so many women. That's our show and it starts after this message from our new presenting sponsor, League Apps. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, presented by League Apps. Once again, here's the host of the show, Dean Linky. Welcome back. As I just said in the open, an incredible show today with super talented women doing super amazing things. 
Today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. The idea to push this podcast forward came directly from the brand new president of United Soccer Coaches, Ashley Fontes Comer, who reached out to the fairly brand new CEO of United Soccer Coaches, Jeff Van Dusen, and off we go. So for back-to-back weeks, Ashley Fontes Comer will lead off our show. I don't know if that's ever happened before, but for good reason, because today we celebrate National Girls and Women in Sports Day, Ashley. Yes, sir. Thank you again for having me, Dean. I guess that's a testament that I I did okay in the last one. (laughs) Just to kick it off, you know, I think this is really important to to acknowledge. You know, we need to do our part, acknowledge that powerful influence in, in sports participation, the impact that it has on girls and women, their accomplishments, and that ongoing progress and struggle for equity inclusion that we still face today. And then I think more importantly with my role, it's when we have access to resources and platforms, I believe that we must use them for positive impact or shed light on things to drive progress. So even though media coverage has gotten better, it's still vastly behind in covering girls and women in sports. So it's important that the sport media and every opportunity that we have, we can speak about it. The sport media is a incredibly powerful institution, maybe one of the most powerful institutions in the world, which literally influences and sets the cultural norms and legitimizes what's acceptable in society. I just want to do my part and I'm glad we were able to put this together and shine a little light on this day. As we continue to change the narrative, Ashley, how can women like you and our other guests today serve as inspiration to young girls? It's simple. If we tie it back to media, it's it's important to be seen to be heard. And then it's important to share our stories. So again, when we have access to resources and platforms, let's get on them. Let's speak about them because you never know who you're actually touching, who you're inspiring. I think it's really important. So I think for just a reminder for coaches, we do have that profound impact on our players, on their experience and with their character building. We need to remember that playing is a pathway that can open up doors that we might not know that actually, you know, what opportunities exist. We might not be able to imagine them. Keeping our players engaged in playing these sports is important because it helps them develop this unshakable foundation, which you see on the the panel. It's it's foundation that's, that's built on resilience, perseverance, teamwork, leadership, and work ethic. And I think that's what all your guests have, have brought to the table. Upright after you is arguably the greatest female soccer player ever, Michelle Akers. She is coming back to the game after 22 years away from the game as an assistant for the NWSL's Orlando Pride to share her knowledge. Another door that is now open for a woman who has done so much for the game and can share so much with this next generation. Yeah, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's very exciting to have her back in the game. I know when I saw the announcement come out, I I took a screenshot and started texting everybody. I'm like, is this real? The point that she's coming back is is a great time for women's football because we have more access and visibility. You know, if you take a look at the the coverage, again, going back to the media side, right? You look at the coverage that just women's sports and like Atta football is providing. It gives a, a larger canvas for these inspiring players or these young ambitious players to actually see her and see that that could be an opportunity for them. Like when I was growing up, you were lucky if you got to see Michelle Akers play. It was really hard. You had to be in the know 
of how to, to see her and, and those other 99ers. So I think that her re-entry into this space is a perfectly timed moment. Speaking of perfectly timed, last week you took the United Soccer Coaches President gavel from Dr. Missy Price. How wonderful is that exchange for girls and women to see? It was absolutely a great moment. I hope we do have a, a good photo from, from that moment that we can can frame and, and hang on those those walls uh, for United Soccer Coaches. But I think it's really important for, for girls and women to see because it reinforces the progress that can be made. No matter how slow it might seem, it is being made. And that, you know, honestly, with United Soccer Coaches, we're committed to that evolution. Finally, an impressive woman of color, Jessica McDonald, is also on this show. And like you, she is a wonderful mom as well, showing her strength every day. Can you touch on her impact? Jessica McDonald, I think she does the work. She shares her story. She's literally out there making a difference and showing up for, for girls and boys and, and demonstrating what is possible. I think she's incredibly important to you know, share that. So I, I also want to acknowledge that it is February and it, it's also Black History Month. So hopefully we can make sure we, we spotlight and, and shine a light on some of the great moments that specifically like women of color have had. Jess, and then there's some others that have been able to use their participation in sport to really catapult them into phenomenal leadership roles. And I know there's thousands out there, but three we have to mention is Karina LeBlanc was at CONCACAF, now GM for Portland Thorns. You have Angela Hughley's, what an incredible post-playing career that she's had, and now VP of Player Development Operations at Angel City FC. And then our, our very own Nicole Hercules, she works behind the scenes doing things that we don't even realize, but She's chair of the Black Coaches Advocacy Group and president of Rochester City Soccer League. There's a lot to be said there, a lot to shine a light on, and a lot of incredible women that are doing great things because it all started with playing soccer. And we're just getting started as we salute these incredible women on National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Ashley Fontes Comer, the president of the United Soccer Coaches, kicking it off for us. Thanks again, Ashley. Thanks, Dean. Appreciate you having me. Coming up, the GOAT, Michelle Akers, after this message. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced-diplomas for more information. Welcome back to our star-studded show as we move up the podcast one day to recognize today National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women Sports Foundation. As the host of the United Soccer Coaches podcast, there was one particular individual I wanted to find. She is, in my view, the greatest ever female soccer player of all time. She is the GOAT. I'm talking about Michelle Akers, who won World Cups in 1991 and 1999. She finished with 153 caps and 105 goals, making an incredible transformation from a superstar striker to one of the best holding midfielders the game has ever seen. Inducted into the National Soccer Hall of Fame in 2004, 
I am so pleased to welcome the GOAT, Michelle Akers. Welcome as we celebrate <laughs> National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Thank you, Dean. So happy we could make it. You are in the news. I mean, you retired in 2000. It's now 2022, and you're back in the game as the assistant coach for the Orlando Pride and Amanda Cromwell. So pleased about that, Michelle. Tell us why now, why this moment? Why now? Because it was a golden opportunity and a dream job and position with an amazing staff, and it's going to be a great team. So uh, I was actually on my way to Oregon. I was two weeks away from moving to Oregon with my son and all my horse rescue animals, and Amanda called me and said, come coach with me. And I couldn't, I couldn't say no, it was too good. So here we are. And Michelle, I know we're going to get into your horse rescue situation, but maybe it was just the horses. What made you not be involved in the game for almost 20 years? Well, I was a mom. I I still am a mom. (laughs) So a mom and I was so beat up after my career uh, was over. It just took so many years to put my body back together, but my Primarily, I I had a dream about horses and I just wanted, I was done with soccer. Like I loved playing. I loved, loved, loved playing. I also loved horses and my dream was to to do something and be with horses, be a cowgirl, lived in the wide open spaces. And so I was pursuing that. Let's go back to your soccer days, though. I first met you at a camp in 89 as you guys were preparing for the 91 World Championships in China. They had the triple-edged sword with you, Karen, and April. You were an elite-level striker. Talk about your days as a forward, and then obviously after that, I'm going to ask you about that transformation to holding mid. Yeah, actually, being a striker was a transformation, and I, I hated it that Anson put me up there because my mentality and where I'd played my entire life was in center mid. So he said, Michelle, you're going to be our striker. And I want you to learn how to score goals. That's your job. And so to me, that was terrifying. Um, a, a whole new skill set and a whole new space to play in. So I, I had to change my entire perspective and enroll for that team to play for the national team and become this striker goal scorer game winner uh, mentality and that was totally different from the midfield took a lot of work and I was uncomfortable for a long time up there but then I then I I I got the hang of it and um, I realized you know this would only expand my game and and then later you know I had to change again because Tony wanted me as that withdrawn or holding midfielder uh, which I I I looked at as a total demotion once he convinced me that this wasn't a demotion and, and it would just play to how I could contribute to the team and, and to my strengths as a midfielder and attacker, then I, I was all in. And it turned out to be one of my favorite positions. 105 goals in 153 games on the national team level shows that you could get it done. You had that connection up top with April and Karen. So, I mean, early on, who was the one or two players that really you connected with and then in 99, I'd love to know who it was, whether it was Tiffany Roberts in the middle of the park or, you know, who were some key people that really helped you be, as I said earlier, the GOAT? Um, well, so, it's so interesting because as a striker, I had to reevaluate the space I was looking for, 
how to get open in those tiny, tiny spaces. And then how, how do I beat someone 1v1 and then 1v2 and then 1v3 because I was getting doubled and triple teamed. How do I do that? And then what, what areas do I want to be in to score? What kind of shot? Like I broke it down and studied it extensively. So I played in Sweden for a few years professionally. And Marco von Boston was one of the strikers I studied and then watched the, um, the European Cup and the Men's World Cup finals and then watched what they did in the box. And, and I just copied it. And I, I just practiced and practiced, put some garbage cans in the goals and made sure I, I hit them every time. So I, I trained for it. And then Karen uh, Jennings, Karen Gabera at the time was a huge influence on me and, and so supportive because it was for me, uncomfortable taking people on 1v1 for a long time. And she just super supportive and one of the best combination players. Uh, she was a great goal scorer, but she was a great combination player as well. And so that and my whole team just we set each other up for success. So that was that was huge. Then later on for me, going back into the defense and having to organize the the defense in front of me and also mark players, I had to learn an entirely new perspective and role then again and literally Tony DiCicco would stand behind me and put his hands on my shoulders and walk me through the positioning that I needed to to be in in different parts of the game and and how to utilize the space and Brandy Chastain huge she was um, a mentor to me and took so much time in explaining my defending role and what to do and what balls to look for. And she was so supportive. We spent hours talking about it. If, if it wasn't for Brandy, I never would have made it. Everybody is so fired up about your return, as we already mentioned, to the Orlando Pride. Michelle, I will say from a historical perspective, I want everybody to Google you to understand how great you were. And then I would love to come down and talk to every Orlando Pride player and say, do you realize who you have as an assistant coach on this team. As I say that, I'm <laughs> you're giggling at me, Michelle, but I do think yeah. it's important. And, and But knowing that, what is it you want to share with these young women who might not know who you are, even though, gosh darn it, they should? <laughs> well, it's, it's hilarious because today is the first day of preseason. And uh, so we have our you know, first preseason practice and everyone's here to, to prove something and and start something uh, big for this season for this team and um it's my birthday so i'm 56 so i'm it's so funny because i'm like you guys it's my birthday today i'm 56 and i'm so happy to be here so how i want to position myself for this role is look i'm 56 i'm i'm damn old i've been in the game a, um, a long time i played at the highest level and and because of the times you know, we had to develop ourselves as players. Anson, his emphasis was, you know, how how can we develop our, ourselves individually away from the support of a team? So that individual training, that individual mentality, along with the team dynamics um, and all the obstacles and experience, that's kind of my role is to be a support to these players, encourage offer them little things and, uh, you know, from the years I, I played on the national team. And, and then I, because I've played three different positions, you know, I can kind of be useful in a lot of different areas. So that's the role Amanda Cromwell wants me to play. And that's my best role, the most, the most exciting role for me. 
Just two more questions for the great Michelle Akers. It's National Girls and Women in Sports Day. A lot has changed since that first world championship in 91 and then in 99 when you and the rest of the team captured the hearts of all of America. The progress has been incredible. What is your message to young girls out there that want to get involved in sports in any way? Play, coach, administrate, be the president of a team. Yeah, what's your message? Oh, my message is, Look, get into it because you love it and and you have fun because that that is what carries you and transcends all all the hard work and challenges that are needed and come up during the time that you're participating. So that primarily make sure you're you're loving it and, and you're in it because it's fun and then the rest will come so much easier and you'll you'll enjoy it for a, a lot of years. Finally, we know you have three great loves, as you already mentioned, your son, who is such a great young man, soccer, but also horses. I don't want to leave you without you promoting what you do with horses <laughs> and tell everybody how they can get involved. Thank you, Dean. Uh, yeah, so my my animal welfare stuff and my love for animals, it led me to starting Michelle Akers Horse Rescue and Outreach. And a 501c3. So I have, I have all my, brought all my animals with me. It was touch and go there for a while in making that happen, but they're all here with me. And so I'm, I'm excited because uh, I just had some great conversations with some players who also love animals. And so we're going to focus on building and doing something here for animal welfare and also to build my rescue up financially as well. So I can continue to focus on that as well and keep and, and keep loving on my animals and keep them healthy healthy and, and happy, which is has been my dream, you know. I've always wanted to combine soccer and animals in some way and, and here I am. My website, Michelleacres.org and my IG Instagram account, official Michelle Acres and MA Horse Rescue. And all uh, you can donate and, and become involved uh, through those three ways. Happy birthday, Michelle Akers. Thanks for coming back. We're so happy to have you in the NWSL with the Orlando Pride. The GOAT, Michelle Akers, on this all-important National Girls and Women in Sports Day edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Michelle, an honor to be with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dean. We're just getting started with inspirational women, including the resilient Jessica McDonald, a member of the 2019 U.S. Women's World Cup Championship team. J-Mac in the house when we return. United Soccer Coaches would like to thank all 2022 convention attendees, exhibitors, presenters, and volunteers for reuniting in Kansas City. You can relive all of the special moments from the awards banquet and All-America ceremony and reception by watching the recordings now available on unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Remember to save the date for the 2023 convention in Philadelphia, January 11 through 15, 2023. This show is jam-packed with powerful women, with powerful stories as we celebrate today. National Girls and Women in Sports Day reminding you that this year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. I am so pleased to be joined by one of my favorite players, Jessica McDonald. She is an incredible story. She's also a mom, which I think is the thing I'm most proud of of uh, Jessica about. I think she'll say the same thing, but she won a couple championships at North Carolina. She's won several championships in the NWSL. She was on that 2019 U.S. Women's World Cup team. 
and she's always accessible. I always say she is one that is ready to to seize the day and take advantage of every opportunity. I feel like that's fair to say, isn't it, Jessica Mack? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I live by those words, that's for sure. Yeah, especially after the World Cup. I was so proud of you when you, you know, you had all these opportunities and opportunities to speak, opportunities to model, opportunities to get out of your comfort zone, and you took them all on. Yeah, you know, I feel like it's it was important for me, obviously receiving all these opportunities that I haven't had before for the World Cup team. So all these opportunities are coming in. I'm like, this is so cool. So it's nice to be able to dabble just in different areas of, you know, opportunities, obviously. And so I just want to see what I'm good at. Let's see if I have any other talents. Let's see if I can do something else because I want my transition to be really smooth post-soccer career to the next thing that I'm going to do. So it's just nice to have opportunity really and if I'm not good at it at least I can say I tried whatever whatever it may be so it's nice to be able just to dabble right now and then just kind of see what I'm falling in love with and just kind of moving on from there need to remind everybody that Jessica McDonald is now at Louisville in the NWSL she'll start her first season with Louisville coming up shortly and J-Mac I feel like you have a couple good messages because I know that your story as a youngster growing up, I feel like you've been vocal about the fact that you use sport as a retreat because family life could be a little bit rough. Can you talk a little bit about that story? Yeah, absolutely. So my household, it was it was chaotic all the time. I, I witnessed things that, you know, no kids should. Just verbal abuse, physical abuse being hap- like happening to me. I never, I never wanted to be home. But the only way I was allowed to be out of the house, because I also live in a very strict household as well. And the only way I was allowed to be out of the house was if I was playing sports. And so I was like, sweet, like, why not? I'm an athlete, naturally born athlete, because, you know, my gene pool obviously lets you know that my mom was an incredible athlete. So was my dad. And so they, they passed down their athleticism down to me. And so I definitely took advantage of really being out of the house. And people always ask me, what's motivated you to be where you are at today? I was like, literally just to be out of the house, you know? And so I wanted to succeed in in some type of sport. To be honest, I never dreamt of being a professional soccer player growing up because professional soccer wasn't even an option when I was younger. You know, I grew up in the nineties, early two thousands. And at one point I thought I was going to be, you know, the first female quarterback in the NFL. I was a quarterback one year on a football team. I thought for sure I was going to be in the NBA and then WNBA came about and then thought I was going to be in the WNBA at some point, thought I was going to be on the USA track team. So it was nice to be out of the house, which is what motivated me to be as good as I could as an athlete and as a person, of course. And so just being surrounded by incredible people in the athletic world who had so much in common with me, it was just nice to and still today, transition all of that into today, just just showing a good example towards my son, you know, and that's what motivates me now. First, it was when I was younger. Yeah, I wanted to stay out of the house because of, you know, acts of violence and things like that. But now it's just now I want to just set a good example for my son and, and want him to, you know, kind of see the ups and downs throughout my career, which is what he has seen, what he has witnessed. And hoping that it shows him, hey, he's going to go through adversity. There's going to be hard times in his life, but, you know, sometimes we have to suffer in order to succeed. And so I feel like I've done a lot of suffering, but, you know, at the end of the, at the end of the road, you know, came a a lot of success for me as an athlete. Yeah. And you've used your platform to promote 
equality for women and you think about today being national girls and women in sports day that's part of the message continuing to knock off that struggle for equality for women in sports there's progress being made though don't you think j mac oh 100 percent. and it's it's awesome that it's being recognized nowadays i feel like it's so different now in comparison to what it was sort of back in the day now because i feel like there's just so much more support nowadays for female athletes than what there was beforehand. What is your message to particularly young black girls about using sport as a way to achieve like you greatness and fulfillment? Find something that you're inspired by, whatever sport it is, stay inspired by it. Let that be your coping mechanism. Let that be your, your outlet. Let that be something that keeps you out of the house. It keeps you out of trouble, keeps you active. It keeps you healthy. Why not be in a competitive environment? You know, you can, for me at least, I use a lot of my emotions, a lot of my anger, a lot of my sadness on the field, on the court, on the track, whatever the case may be. And so I truly believe from the bottom of my heart that any little black girl out there can, can apply and do the same exact thing. You're playing all these sports and you are starting to interface with a ton of coaches. Coaches can make a big difference in going up or really going down. Is there one or two coaches along your career that really made a difference in who you've become? Absolutely. I have to give a lot of credit to Anson Dorrance. Anson, I love that he just speaks truth. You know, whether if you're down, whether if you're not having a good game, whether, you know, you're not doing well in schools. There were times where like my grades were starting to drop at UNC and he's actually brought me in his office one-on-one to just be there for me. And I thought he was just such an incredible mentor, not even just coach, but just person in general. Still to this day, I still call Anson Dorrance for, you know, whatever I pretty much need. You know what I mean? I, I call that man literally for anything. And he has been there for me still to this day, even after 12 years of, of playing for him. So he's definitely made a huge impact on my life. And I would have to give some credit to Jill Ellis because she took a chance on me too. She took a t- chance on me making the World Cup team. You know, I was the only mom. I had a chip on my shoulder. I wasn't allocated. I wasn't on salary. You know, I didn't have a contract with the national team, but she still took her chance on me. And because of that, it has expanded my opportunities. You know, that's just out of this world and it'll continue to do so. You spent some time already talking about making sure your son is the right place so you can be a better mom. Can you talk to women about how it, you can do it all. You can be a mom and you can be an elite level athlete or elite level coach or elite level general manager or president or owner. I firmly believe that anything is possible. It really is. And it takes hard work. It takes blood, sweat, tears, long hours, whatever the case may be. It takes sacrifice as well. Sacrifice is like huge in my book. A little bit of sacrifice that I had to make was I spent a lot of time away from my son when I was preparing for the World Cup. You know, I was preparing for the World Cup team from November 2018 all the way through July 7th, which is the final. And every month leading into the final, we were gone, not even just in the United States, but we travel internationally between two and four weeks. And me being a single mom, you know, I had to spend time with my son. He had to stay in school. And my North Carolina family helped take care of him for me while I was on the road, you know, preparing. And so, but that just gave me a little extra juice, a little extra more fuel, because sometimes when 
we are going through some type of adversity. Sometimes when we're going through, I wouldn't even say it was necessarily a setback. It was really just a sacrifice that I had to make, but it motivated me. It fueled me like, okay, I'm here for a reason, you know, and these sacrifices, sometimes that's what's going to, that's what it's going to take in order to be successful, in order to reach your goals, whatever you may want to be, whether it's a coach, a player, and you want to be successful, then that's what it's going to take. It's going to take obviously hard work. It's going to take a strong mindset. That's for sure. And of course I had bad days mentally, especially, but it was nice to have incredible teammates like Kristen Press, for example, Kristen Press noticed one day that I just, I wasn't in it, you know, and she simply just gave me a hug one day. She came up to me and just gave me a hug and literally I snapped out of it. You know, sometimes you just need a hug. So, you know, it's obviously going to take some support. It's going to take, you know, incredible people who you're also surrounded by in order to get through whatever your journey is. And, you know, with that help, that little bit of help throughout the sacrifices that I was making, it just eased my mind and it made the journey a little bit easier, still hard, but just a little bit easier. So know that these things are possible and it's always good to take one step at a time as well. This is something I, I, I had to learn and learn the hard way really, because, you know, I'm thinking World Cup in November, November of 2018, I'm thinking World Cup, I'm thinking just France. Whereas I need to think of, okay, I need to focus on just this camp right here, the now, the present, and then next step. Okay, next camp, next month, December. Okay, next camp, January. This is when the grind really starts, you know, February, you know, so just focusing on each step at a time and knowing that eventually you're going to get there, wherever you're trying to make it to. It just takes one step at a time because sometimes we give each other anxiety. Sometimes we stress ourselves out as individuals. We always want the conclusion to just be there overnight. Whereas it's just going to take one step at a time. We have to be just so patient. So just know that these things are possible, but it's going to take one step at a time, some patience, hard work, support, sacrifice. I mean, I, I can name a lot of things here, what it's really truly going to take, but that's a little bit of how I got through, you know, pretty much everything in, in order to lift up the trophy, whether it feels NWSL or World Cup or basketball, UNC, whatever. We're here with the super resilient and super inspirational Jessica McDonald, now playing for Louisville in the NWSL. It's National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Just a couple more questions. I'm glad you mentioned transition, but I don't know about you. Like, I don't want Tom Brady to retire. I, I still don't <laughs> want Michael Jordan to retire. Have you thought about how long you can go, J-Mac? Ooh, uh, I have. It's crazy. I just had a really deep discussion with my brother recently. He's like, He's like, yeah, you can do it like Carly Lloyd. You can go into like your 37, 39. Physically, I truly believe I can go for a long time physically. But I think right now in my career, you know, I'm 33. I'm about to be 34 very soon here. I'm just kind of taking it one step at a time, depending on what life is going to throw at me, because I've accomplished so much in my career where if I retired right now, I would be content. I would miss the game, of course. I, I love playing. That's that's what's keeping me in the game right now is the love for it. And, you know, I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm a jock, essentially. But uh, I think I have some longevity in me physically. But we'll see, I guess, kind of what life throws at me. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's going to help you with your transition because going back to my point a little moment ago when I said seize the day where you tried things, some you like, some you don't like. What, what does that transition look like, do you think, Jessica McDonald, if when you do finally retire? Yeah, so one of my strengths, which is really cool to say, it, it took 
a lot of repetitions, a lot of practice, but I really enjoy public speaking. I really do. I love mentoring kids because I feel like a lot of these kids have related to my own life story. You know, the difficulties mentally or at home pressure or whatever the case may be. A lot of people, it's really cool to see, like really relate to my story. And so I'm just happy I can inspire others just being able to tell them my story, how I've been able to handle things, how I've gotten where I am today. But another thing that I wanted to dabble into is uh, I'm hoping to get an internship this year for commentating. That's kind of the next thing. You know, I know the game really well, and I think I'd be okay at it. So I'll just be reaching out to some people this year and, and hoping I can sort of dip my toe into, into some commentating. But I also do uh, mental training as well for players, coaches, and parents with my business called Soccer Resilience, kind of speaks for itself. And that's been really cool to experience as well, just sort of learning about the human brain. And I'm still learning and being able to help people on a mental aspect of things, being able to help train their brain so they stay sharp. Last comment here, it's National Girls and Women in Sports Day. It's the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. So 35 years ago, they were a long ways away. I feel like the train has left the station. They are moving forward. How do you feel about uh, where we are right now with women in sports? Oh, I feel so good about it right now. There's still a long way to go. Truth be told, we still have a long way to go, but we've got to start somewhere. But I feel like the support is just there and it's getting better and better over time. And I just really, truly been enjoying the journey and just seeing female sports just develop the way that it has and how much more popular it is, how much more support we've been getting. I'm sure you saw the Barcelona women's game not long ago, completely sold out like 85,000 people. Like, holy crap, that's absolutely (laughs) incredible. Just seeing some historical things like that for female athletes and teams we're getting somewhere. Now is the time where, where we're going to, you know, just sort of skyrocket here, but it's been a joy to be a part of and a joy to witness as well. It's been a joy to watch you, J-Mac. Jessica McDonald, a true inspiration, a soccer mom, a soccer leader, and we know you're going to do great things even when you are done playing, but go ahead and play for 10 more years, J-Mac, okay? I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Let's get McDonald on our special National Girls and Women in Sports Day edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. All the best, J-Mac. Thank you, Dean. Always great to spend time with Jessica McDonald. Up next, the super talented Amanda Vanderbort, the new president of the USL Super League, creating so many opportunities for women at so many levels, not just playing, but coaches, administrators, leaders, you name it. Amanda Vanderbort, when we return. Does it feel like all you're doing to manage your team, club, or league is busy work? If so, League Apps can help you get back to doing what you love, delivering a powerful yet simple youth sports management platform from robust registration and payment tools to automated communications and other software integrations. League Apps saves you time and headaches. Less busy work, more time doing what you love. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. It's an opportunity to celebrate the accomplishments of female athletes 
the positive influence of participating in athletics and the continuing struggle for equality for women in sports. And I'm delighted to have the newly named first president of the USL Super League, the professional second division women's soccer league slated to kick off in 2023, and innovative sports executive Amanda Vandervoort with more than 20 years of experience across all levels of women's and men's soccer. Amanda Vandervoort brings business acumen, leadership skills, and industry relationships to the USL Super League and USL's burgeoning women's soccer pathway. Before we welcome Amanda, a couple more lines about her amazing resume. As USL Super League president, Amanda Vandervoort will lead all aspects of USL's distinct youth to professional women's soccer pathway, creating thousands of opportunities for players, fans, coaches, and staff in the women's game. Amanda Vanderbilt joins USL after serving as Chief Women's Football Officer of FIFPRO, the Global Players Association, where she directed strategy, policy, and stakeholder relations. She was a prominent spokesperson on global women's football matches, and she co-authored the 2020 Raising Our Game Report, which placed player rights and conditions at the center of an overview on the growing women's football industry. She also has experience in Major League Soccer and is a former coach and a former president of the association, as she is now welcome to this special National Girls and Women's Sports Day edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thanks for being with us, Amanda. Thanks, Dean. It's great to be here. Thanks for that. Your introduction is worthy of even more because uh, you've been such an inspirational figure in the women's game, including being president of United Soccer Coaches and on National Girls and Women in Sports Day. I got to believe this day means a lot to you because you've kind of been involved in all aspects of the game, which I think says a lot to young women that can say, hey, I can play, I can coach. Maybe I can even be Amanda Vanderbilt. It's a real pleasure to be here. And, and on this day in, in particular, I'm so happy that the United Soccer Coaches is, is celebrating with a podcast like this and with all your great guests across this uh, across this podcast. So it's an honor to be part of, of this discussion and of this family. And I think the same you know, could be said for, for anyone uh, across this group and, and women in the sporting industry you know, at large. We go back to that old saying, if, if you can't see her, you can't be her. And so to be visible and, and be in these, in these moments, sharing our stories is, hopefully yeah hopefully it, it impacts and affects uh, a young a young woman or, or aspiring professional in in sport some way down the lines yeah and everything I'm learning about the USL Super League is the net is cast really wide so you want to have more coaches that are women more administrators mm-hmm. more women period across this league and I feel like there are people ready to take on those jobs don't you think Definitely. It is about creating more opportunity in the game, right? For, for girls and women. Opportunity that just hasn't existed till now in, in this country. We've never had Division II women's professional soccer in, in the United States. And we're creating, you know, the highest level professional soccer that's ever existed in a lot of these cities a- across the country. So it's like you said, it's both on the field and off the field, the opportunity to, to both professionalize the women's game much, much wider and, and much deeper and create those professional pathways for women in the game. I've always found you driven, energetic, passionate. Where did you find that inspiration from? Was there somebody early on that inspired you or, you know, your path is so great. And one of the things we want to talk about the fact is that you were a coach and now you've moved into these high executive levels. Like just talk about your path a little bit. Thanks for saying that about me, about being energetic and driven. I, uh, I've I've certainly been inspired by a lot of people along along the way. My my high school coach, her name was Alicia Kinsler. She played at Santa Clara and and she was really critical in my development, I think, in in that 
phase of my life. I didn't start playing soccer till I was a little bit older, to be honest. I was around 13 when I started really playing competitive. And then I get to high school and, and Alicia really helped me understand the mental side of, of sport, right? And that was a fundamental part of a successful player is the mental side. It's not just all physical. So, you know, I had coaches all throughout my career who've, who've impacted me and, and inspired me, but administrators too. So Charlotte Moran, who our long-term service award is named for at United Soccer Coaches. Charlotte was a, a dear friend and mentor to me when I first got involved in coaching and, and she inspired me actually to get involved in leadership of the association, her and Sue Ryan, who still works quite diligently on our advocacy group. So the two of them were real role models and instilled in me this service leadership and this pathway through the United Soccer Coaches to give back to the game. Through that, I learned and I grew and I, I, I learned all kinds of business acumen and, and skills through the association and through my leadership with United Soccer Coaches. So that's transcended, you know, across my different business aspects. You know, to your point, I've worked across different leagues, men's professional soccer, women's professional soccer. I've coached youth to adult boys, girls, men, women across the game. And there's no one role or job that's ever necessarily fulfilled everything for me. So I've cobbled it together with various service oriented positions and roles and jobs. And that's how I view all my jobs. So really um, it's through the lens of of what's the impact and the difference that I'm making. It's never been about the job title. It's never been about the salary or about where I live. You know, I've traveled all around for to work in soccer, but it's always been about what's the impact that I'm creating and what am I giving back to the game as a result of my job and a result of my roles. Let's talk about the impact because as I mentioned, this is the 35th edition of the National Girls and Women in Sports mm -hmm. Day. And I think we all can agree that 35 years ago to today, the progress for women in sports in all roles, even in my role in broadcasting, is off the charts. And I think only going to get better. I hope you agree. Yeah, it is. I, I'm I'm excited about where we are today and I'm excited about the future, you know, I mean, but I think we have to be both diligent in ensuring that we continue to push and drive that growth, right? Because it doesn't just happen. It's the result of a lot of people. And, and part of what we're here to celebrate today is the work of so many people who've, who've come before us that since, you know, for the past 35 years have been trying to help create these opportunities and create these moments and these platforms for women and girls to achieve in sport. And so those of us that, that pick up mantles along the way to ensure that we're also, you know, diligent and directed in, in ensuring the future pathways remain sustainable and also grow. Closer to home, just a couple of weeks ago at the convention, another amazing women's soccer coaches breakfast that UMC'd and Amy Griffin was the featured speaker. And you look around that room and Dr. Missy Price, who now works for you, is another example of somebody who coached and now is moving into an executive role. But I'm always amazed when you look around that room, there's just so much talent. And that's part of what we're building here. That breakfast, Dean, that breakfast is my favorite event of the convention every year. I mean, and I don't say that because I am seated. I, <laughs> in fact, I enjoy and Amy. How funny was Amy Griffin giving her uh, award of excellence speech. She's hilarious. And, and Leslie Gallimore and giving her introduction and just 
all around being able to come together and celebrate the women's game, the growth of the women's game and, and women in the game. I think that that particular event at the convention. So if anyone's thinking about going next year to the convention, definitely go and definitely go to the Saturday morning women's breakfast because it's off the charts. When we kind of look out from that event, I think that's a micro cosm of the broader women's soccer and women's sporting landscape today, right? We're lucky that we're all kind of concentrated in that space and in that room to be able to share and tell tales together. And we had Erin McLeod talking about, you know, her journey in the game and to be able to reflect on that as coaches and hear from, from a professional player who's still playing the game, I think is, is incredibly valuable for us. But then those are the kind of conversations for us to facilitate, learn from and grow from more broadly, right? Like before this job, I was in, um, I was living in Amsterdam. I was working as the chief women's football officer at FIFPRO, which is the Global Players Union, which you described at the beginning. But to give a little more context of that, my work was really championing the rights of female football players, female soccer players around the world. And one of the most important things for us to be able to do was listen and share stories and understand what's happening with the professionalization of the Wii League in Japan, what's happening with the professionalization of even women as athletes in Italy, just a new law recently passed allowing women to be professional athletes in, in, in that country, right? What's happening with the development of the FAWSL in England, and then taking kind of all of those learning bits and pieces and figuring out, okay, what's the right approach for us here in the United States with USL Super League, understanding what's happening in the dynamics here in America too. So when we look in, in that room, I'll go back to that example. It's a small moment for us to listen and learn and share both the challenges and the funny stories that have happened to us along the way. But it's an example of how listening and learning and being part of this community and understanding what's happening around us is going to make us and our work. I say us as the like royal we, right? I mean, everyone involved in sport, you, me, Jeff, you know, this new CEO of the association, all of us to do our job better and more proficiently. I think we need to do a lot of listening um, and understanding perspectives and, and, and past experience to make sure that, that we're not repeating mistakes and then looking forward to sustainability over the long term. Amanda, right here, right now, United Soccer Leagues. Yes, you've got the Super League in 2023, but with the W League coming this year, the USL is truly opening so many doors for women. Yeah, so in this year, 2022, we launched the W League, which is our elite pre-professional league. We're excited to be kicking off in, in over 40 communities across the country and create this opportunity for, for players to complement their college season with a summer season that's that's pre-professional. We've got that in 22, and then in 2023 is the launch of the Super League, which would be our fully professional league. So that is a little bit of timeline for, for you and for the listeners to kind of get their arms around what that looks like. Now, my message, I mean, my message across the board is, is consistent, right? We're creating, Dean, there's 40,000 women playing college soccer today across all levels playing college soccer. You know, you've, mo you've called most of their games, I think at this point. So, <laughs> so, so there's 40,000 women playing college soccer. And at the end of that, there's a very limited amount of opportunities for them, maybe something like 300 playing jobs in the United States today for them to graduate and go on to be professional athletes. So that gap is huge, not to mention there's seven times more men's professional teams in this country than there are women. So there's a huge gap today in opportunity. So my message is that we're filling that gap 
And we're going to create teams and communities for players and coaches, executives, and fans to really see and feel and, and get to know the, the women's game for, for what it, it really has the potential to be. When you think about national girls and women in sports day and all the work of the women's sports foundation, how does that make you feel? What are your thoughts about that? Mm, I feel grateful. I feel like I'm part of something bigger. Me personally, I feel that this community of women in sport is always accessible and always supportive. And I, and I hope that I'm, I give back to the community in, in the same way, as much as, as you know, I, I aspire to, to, to be that values-based leader and, and give back. I, I hope to, to learn from players who are playing and people who are coming up in, in their career too. And I don't think it's necessarily about the length of time that you've spent in, in any job or any role or any career, but it's about we're all learning in this together. And there's such a bright future ahead for women and girls in sport. And it's such an exciting moment and exciting time. And this force of nature that is women's sport. Listen, Dina, trains left the station. Yeah, it's real. It is real. And that's why we are celebrating it. National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Always a pleasure to spend time with the inspirational Amanda Vandervoort. Thanks for being with us, Amanda. Thanks, Dean. This is great. Thank you for having me. We are just halfway through our star-studded list of eight amazing women. When we return, Anna Witte, who was on Podcast Row in Kansas City, sat down with one of the co-founders of Atta Football, Esmerada Negron. We'll bring you that after this message. Performance analysis is now recognized as having a crucial role to play in any coaching program. The United Soccer Coaches Performance Analysis Level 1 Special Topics Diploma will provide coaches with real-world examples of how analysis is being used to enhance the individual player development process and maximize team performance. Additionally, successful candidates will achieve Level 1 accreditation as an Applied Performance Analyst from the International Society of Performance Analysis of Sport. Register now by visiting the Master Course Schedule on unitedsoccercoaches.org. Welcome back into the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I'm Anna Witte on Podcast Row in Kansas City at the United Soccer Coaches Convention. Today, I'm joined by the co-founder of Atta Football, Esmeralda Negron. And before we get into how you created this streaming platform, you were a player, you were a coach. What was your first introduction into the sport of soccer? Oh gosh, it was a long time ago. I started playing probably when I was five or six years old for the town league and I, I quickly fell in love with the sport. Probably by fourth grade I, I moved to like a, a bigger club in a, a neighboring town. And um, probably the rest is history. I fell in love with the game. I played through, through high school, played for, you know, a top club. I played for world class, for those of you from, from Jersey or from the tri-state area. And then I went on to play at Princeton. And then after Princeton, I played professionally in Europe, one season in France and one in Germany, and then got into college coaching. So I was actually a college coach for about eight years, four years, first at Seton Hall in the Big East, and then at Princeton in the Ivy League. College coaching wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do long term, um, but I think when you're a player, you, all you see is, okay, how can I stay involved in the game? It's, it's got to be coaching. And I, I think so many people fall into that. It wasn't really the right fit. I have tremendous respect for coaches. I think it's a phen phenomenal profession, but knew it wasn't right for me. I, w I ended up going back to school at Columbia to get my master's in sports management and started working for relevant sports and then kind of made that transition into the, into the business side of the sport. After Princeton, you said you went abroad to play soccer for a little bit. Why was that what you wanted to do next? 
When I was a junior and senior in college, I was um, with the U21 national team pool, and I think for me, all I wanted to do was be a pro soccer player, and I and the really only avenue at that time was really to make the national team. Thankfully, things have progressed from there. And when I graduated, the first iteration of the Women's Pro League, WUSA had just folded, and so I didn't have any sort of domestic place to continue to progress and to develop so that I could potentially make the national team one day. So I, I got connected with an agent out in Europe and I went over and played, you know, two seasons out there. But if you can imagine, 15 years ago, a long time ago, um, the conditions weren't great in Europe. It was, it was like semi-professional. I was really technically the only professional player on the team, which made for a very kind of strange dynamic within the, the, the squad, which, which wasn't the most comfortable, I think, because the players knew I was getting paid and then they weren't. So it was, it was just, it, it just wasn't the best. And and then obviously it wasn't a full-time profession for them. That didn't last that long. It was a phenomenal experience from a kind of cultural and, uh, you know, traveling perspective. And I got to play the game. Playing in Europe didn't deter you from the soccer world. You continued on it. Like you said, you went into the coaching realm. So why was coaching the next right step for you? You know what? I never actually thought about it, but um, while I was in, in Germany, my second year and playing pro, um, my club coach, Kazbek Tambi, had gotten the head job, had been offered the head job at Seton Hall, and he called me while I was in Germany, and he was like, um, I know you want to play. Well, I, the, the WPS, so the next iteration of the Women's Pro League here, is, is about to launch in the next year or two again and get, get going. Will you come and be my assistant? You can help me out. You can play in with the squad. I would just love to kind of have you be a part of our, our coaching team. So at that point, because, you know, in, in Europe, the conditions weren't great. Again, it wasn't really that professional. I was like, let me just go back home and start to get a, get get paid, <laughs> actually get paid, have some benefits. And then thought I'd eventually, you know, go back to playing. But I think it was, it was too difficult for a number of reasons. I think if you don't have the financial resources, potentially parents that have those means to support you, um, you know, that was really hard because you, you, you couldn't make a living, um, you know, you wouldn't have health benefits, retirement, and all these things that actually ultimately are, are quite important. That was actually incredibly hard for me. I, I struggled a lot in my 20s because I, all I wanted to do was play and, and reach these, like, these high levels and play with the national team and just all I wanted to do is be a pro player. But, you know, it's probably 15 years too early. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> but I'm happy that now things are better. I know there's still a lot of progress to be made. Right. I know that there's a lot, a lot of growth that needs to happen. But I, I feel excited about, like, when I look at what, was, what it was like 15 years ago and what it's like now, a lot of people are like, oh, we're not where we need to be. There's not enough progress. But actually when I see it and I live through it, it's like massive amounts of progress. Um, so, you know, I, I think, I think uh, you know, all positive, you know, for women's pro soccer for the future. It worked out for you, though. I mean, you have a phenomenal career right now, and we'll touch more on it um, after you left the soccer world. But first, you spent eight years coaching college soccer. How did your experience in Europe playing abroad help you become a, a coach at the collegiate level? I think any time you play the game, I think you can re relate with the players a bit and right. obviously have been through what they've been through and been in their shoes and, and, and hopefully you can help help them get through those difficulties and challenges with, you know, maybe they maybe they have an injury or maybe um, they're not getting, you know, as much playing time as they want to. And so, you know, I tried my best to be like a good support for the players. But I also think at the same time, just being a player doesn't make you a great coach. And I think there was... I had a lot to learn. I was also still in my own world 
Um, so I think now I'd actually be a really great coach. Whereas before, I think I also was in my own world just wanting to play. So it was like I was consumed by this desire. And I think sometimes it was hard for me to actually be coaching. And I've talked to some other people about it uh, because it was, I actually just wanted to be on the field. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, um, it was interesting because it, well, it did prepare me for that in that I was, I was able to step into their shoes and, and try to be a good support system and mentor and coach them through those difficult and challenging moments. But also at the same time, it was a bit painful for me personally because of the struggle that I was actually going through with like not being actually being able to play. So I learned a lot coaching. I, I think mm -hmm. it's not, it's not easy to manage people. And uh, I actually have a lot of respect for coaches. <laughs> it's interesting you yeah. say that and you spent eight years coaching collegiate soccer. So why did you continue to do it if you were kind of back and forth with wanting to be a player and, and coaching? Honestly, I kept wanting to leave to go play, but it, it was, um, it was this fear and I think now and later in my life I've learned a lot more where fear doesn't necessarily hold me back from things anymore <laughs> and but at the time it was this fear of like committing to that without any sort of stability or comfort because um, again I didn't have parents that could basically fund my life as a professional player at the time so it was really hard I think I, I stayed in college coaching for the time that I did only because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I loved still being a part of the game. I loved being on the field. And, you know, there was a lot of enjoyment around being around the players. So there were some phenomenal things that kind of kept me in the mix. And then as I went, I, you know, I, I went, you know, I thought about going back to school. I thought about going to law school. I actually was about to go to Seton Hall Law School when my, my coach, Julie Shackford, who is at Princeton, called me and was like, ah, the assistant position's open when you come. And I, I vastly, because I was like, you know what? I think I'm actually going to go to law school, actually. I don't think college coaching is for me. But somehow I was like, well, let me, let me give it a shot at my alma mater. Those of you that are, that are part of the college coaching world, jobs only come up you know, so, so often. So, so, often. so, uh, so, so I, I thought about it a lot. And I was like, all right, let me give it a chance. I could always go back to law school. And then I went to Princeton, and I, I kind of felt like it was the same. Like I, I just like I wanted to do something different. And, again, it, it still felt like... It wasn't the right fit for me. So I loved it. I enjoyed it so much. I loved being around the players. I had some really great relationships with some of the players. But, um, yeah, that, that was kind of what prompted me eventually to, to leave and, and to go back to school. And, and I think I finally got over that fear and made a decision to to explore some other avenues within the sport, but in mm -hmm. different like in different areas, like like on the pro side and, 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 and the business side of the sport. Yeah, different capacities. You almost left it for the corporate world and you were still around the game, but in a completely different way. So what did you do at Relevant Sports? Actually, my last year uh, coaching at Princeton, I, I was already at that point trying to figure out what I wanted to do. So I, I coached, uh, I, I called Charlie Silitano, who is the chairman of, of Relevant Sports Group in the ICC, and he was a Princeton alum, soccer alum. And I was like, you know what, I'm thinking of transi transitioning outside, out, out of college coaching and getting involved in the sport, but in a different capacity. Can I, can I intern for you this summer? <laughs> so I actually started off as an intern. Um, while I was still in my last season coaching collegiately, I, I went on tour with Real Madrid. Um, you know, I was traveling with R Ronaldo and, and on their private plane. And, uh, you know, <laughs> that, was, so cool. that was a pretty amazing experience. I watched every training session as a, as a soccer junkie. It was, it was amazing. And so, you know, that experience kind of like propelled me to, to, to take that next step and, and to kind of venture out and take the chance of like, not sure what's to come, mm -hmm. but I know that college coaching is not for me. And I know that I want to be in the professional space. Um, so then I, you know, I, I ended up... Uh, 
consulting for Relevant um, the next three years, and every year they would kind of extend my contract and um, you know expand my you know my responsibilities from marketing to operations and all that stuff. So, um, and then in 2018 they hired me full time um, uh, to help on the youth side and the women's side, and that's where I kind of helped strategically launch the women's ICC, and I directed the tournament for a couple of years. That was kind of like that evolution. <laughs> it seems like the consistent story in your story is international soccer. You got to travel with Real Madrid, you got to, you know, play overseas, and you have a co-founder with Ata Football. So when did that relationship start? When did you guys meet each other and what was the conversations to get this going? Yeah, so we, our relationship started um, in 2018 when I started full-time at Relevant. She actually was recruited um, from Sky Sports to come over and work for, for Relevant Sports, and we instantaneously became great friends. Uh, we ended up being roommates in the Upper West Side in New York. And we just like, it's funny, Hannah and I are, are very similar in, in many, many ways. And then also very, very different in other ways. But we have this really strong friendship um, that I think is really unique. As you get older in your life, you don't always like cultivate really strong relationships later in life, you know. Yeah, we were just kind of, uh, we overlapped there, became great friends. I was so passionate about the women's game and driving change and you know, I'd seen, you know, with women's ICC, I kept wanting to follow these European clubs and, you know, throughout their seasons, and I couldn't. So I'd be like, Hannah, help me find this. Like, where is this game? It's nowhere. Like, I would get so frustrated. I want to see Lyon play PSG, or I want to see the Champions League. And so, like, we started to be like, I think she couldn't take hearing about it anymore. <laughs> so she <laughs> says, let's let's do something about this. Um, and we, I think we got to the point in, in our in our lives, in our careers, where we were like, we wanted to drive change, and we wanted to come together, collaborate, and and start our own venture. Um, but it was it was interesting because it wasn't about the venture. It was like almost like we saw a problem. Mm -hmm. We were really passionate about that problem, and then we found, we, we we brainstormed to find a solution. But I remember in our apartment we used to we used to read a lot, and we read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, um, and, and it was like she read it first. Then, then I read it. Then she was reading like how Uber started. Then I read it. Then, then, then I read like um, the Battle for Sky, which is like the whole sports media landscape. It's Comcast, Sky, NBC, and the Murdochs, and all kinds of things. Because um, mm -hmm. I actually had no sports media ba background when we first launched Atta, which is which is crazy now when I think about it. Um, and so uh, we we just started to put our heads together. And then I remember it's funny. I remember in the morning Hannah comes out of room and I was like coming out of my room and she like lifts her hand she's like I've got it and I was like great <laughs> and like her hands are up and, and and I remember like that morning we sat on the couch and she's like we're gonna sweep up all these rights and then as the the, the idea started to like um kind of metamorphosize it was um sure we're gonna make this hub and then I and then I put my head together about how we, we build community underneath and how we engage the grassroots and we make this of more of a more robust like platform and community and offering. Um, so that was kind of that, that was kind of how that, that all came about. And then kind of it happens very fast that so we were able to get um, funding from a great private equity group based in Miami. Um, we had support from NBC and, and the leagues. Um, so it happens like very quickly. It was probably within eight months from when we we had the aha moment <laughs> um, that you know onto football came into in, in existence. Really, you know, it's kind of crazy when I think about it.
like you said, Hannah came out of her room and said, we're going to get the rights. How did you and Hannah know who to go to to get the rights and start those conversations? Yeah, so um, the good thing is Hannah had a sports media background, um, so she had a lot of great contacts and knew exactly how to approach that. Um, and so we knew that the FAWSL was represented by Pitch International. And, and what happens is a lot of these leagues are represented by agencies that then sell their media rights. Um, so, for instance, the NWSL is represented by Octagon, I believe. They might still be. Octagon then sells the media rights and, and brokers the deals on behalf of the NWSL. And then they, they approve or not approve, you know, of the proposals that come their way and decide what, what they ultimately want to go with. So Lucky Hannah had a lot of these relationships already. Um, so Hannah was incredibly instrumental in getting the venture off the ground. And then and then once it got going, after kind of we got through the meteorite stuff, then my skill set and my expertise and my network then came to be quite valuable and instrumental in trying to build this community, trying to like build fandom and, and engage everybody in the ecosystem. So we always talk about how special I think our, our complementary expertise and skills are mm-hmm. um, for this venture. She's not a soccer player or a football player, um, never played the game, but um, she, had, she has this incredible network in the sports media landscape and, and was really, really vital to getting us off the ground for sure. It's very clear that streaming and everything, you want it to be the best quality that you can get. So how did you and Hannah go about finding the best quality for out of football? We do take the international feed from the domestic broadcaster. So at the time that was uh, last season, it was BT Sport and the BBC. And generally speaking, when the, the matches are available for international uh, takers, they're usually produced at a higher level. So okay. um, we don't do the camera. We take that feed from the domestic uh, broadcaster. It goes into our production studios uh, based in London through Gravity Media. Um, they then put our graphics on because we've invested in these rights. We can brand it Odds of Football. So if any of you have seen any of the matches on NBC or oddsoffootball.com, it's all of our graphics and branding. And then through Gravity, we have our commentators um, in studios there, and they you know commentate on the matches. So that's kind of how that, that piece uh, comes together. And then that goes out to our streaming platform and our broadcast takers as well. So that's kind of the, how, it all, how it all works. <laughs> You've touched on it a little bit, but what leagues does Ata football carry? Yep, so uh, currently we have six leagues. Um, we have FAWSL, the English league. We have D1F, the French league. Primera Iberdrola, which is a Spanish league. We have Fram Bundesliga, the German league. Serie A, Italian league. And then we have Champions League through a partnership with zone. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people in the States or people who sub- subscribe to Ata football of just the experience that they've had? It's funny, we have such great fans. Sometimes people are complaining about something, but then they always say, but we love you guys so much at the end. So it's like funny. Well, uh, they're thankful for <laughs> they're what you're so doing, thankful, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think people are just happy that they have access. So they like they might have some feedback or they're like, my stream you know, cut off at this point or something, but always like they end with thank you, which I, I think is indicative of like there was a void in the market. People are interested. Um, and, you know, these fans are really, really into this and really passionate and they and they want to watch and, and they're really appreciative and grateful that they finally have the opportunity to do so. I will say we get a lot of positive <laughs> feedback and, and we're hoping to, to be able to kind of recognize some of our fans coming up in, in a big marketing campaign around kind of introducing what Ata is and, and all the great things that we have going on now. To go kind of first full circle in your playing career, how have you seen the game grow internationally from the days that you played in it oh gosh well it's 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 massive i mean now now that now the 
the clubs are attached to the men, men's clubs, they're the same brand. They can use the facilities, so the facilities are another level. Uh, I did not have that. Um, now, with I think with Ata, we've been able to make this available on broadcast and, and accessible outside of the domestic territories. So now people can watch, actually watch this on TV. Right. Um, you know, you now have salaries, um, and you can actually make it your full-time career. Whereas before, it was it just couldn't be. Like you had to have another three other jobs to make ends meet to then like play, still play your sport. Curious how you got the name Ata Football. Going back to the shoe dog story, we were we were reading uh, Phil Knight's shoe dog on Nike. Of course, got obsessed with the Nike story. Han and I both were obsessed with it. <laughs> um, so we, get, we were like, we looked up Greek goddesses and, and Greek gods, and we said, okay, maybe we can find some inspiration there. Um, and so Hannah found uh, one called Atalanta, um, and she's a it's a female. She's she's a huntress, and she is known for her hunting skills to be you know, superior than men and her athletic ability. And it was kind of this badass woman who. Who I think men had to like compete with her for for the, her affection, um, and so we felt like it was appropriate, being that it was a, a, it was a female you know sports platform. Um, and then a week before we were launching Atalanta, um, you know we didn't have uh, we had no landing page, we had no logo, and we had no no brand. Uh, and so we're like scrambling to get our, all our broadcast deals done. Our like you know our, our investment group like. Uh, a contract send. I mean, it was like, I can't even remember this like three week period. It was like, I, I, I don't know. You blacked out. <laughs> blacked it out. <laughs> so um, anyways, we, we, we didn't know what to do. We actually just, so all we did was shorten Atalanta to Ata. And then we wanted just Ata. Uh, so we wanted it to just be Ata. That's it. <laughs> uh, but when we went to go buy the Ata domain. It was, it was quite expensive. So we were like, okay, well, we are a women's football you know community and platform um and because we have this kind of global nature and this like international you know nature we couldn't call it auto soccer so we went with football kind of like how the world you know uh uses you know it describes you know the, the, how we say soccer here in the u.s um and so we just did very simply autofootball.com and that was it and autofootball is our <laughs> consumer brand uh it was not it was not a, a complex um it, it did actually very much remind us of the um, the shoe dog story with Nike and how they launched their the logo, the swoosh, the iconic swoosh. Actually, for those of you who have not read the book, I think it was like a graduate school graphic designer that Phil Knight had to get a, a logo done in like 24 hours, and that was it. And, and like she's probably has created this the most iconic, you know, uh, you know, sports logo, you know, absolutely. So it's a, right. it's an incredible story if anybody wants to watch, to read it, but. Um, but yeah, that, that's our auto football story. <laughs> to go back to Phil Knight's book and the Uber story that you said influenced both you and Hannah, what's been the common thread between those two stories that makes a successful entrepreneur? Well, that's a good one. Um, I think, I think in, um, uh, Uber, I didn't read that one in totality. Hannah did get through that one. Um, it, Uber had a very, um, um, I think a guerrilla marketing tactic. They really got into the weeds. They got into the market. They got into the community. And I think we, we are trying to apply that with Ata Football and really get into it so that we can, uh, you know, bring more awareness, um, bring people into the fold. Um, and I don't think you can do that just slapping your logo somewhere and then hoping for the best. Like you have to engage, listen to the community, mm-hmm. deliver what they want, uh, find out what's missing. Um, and then introduce, you know, these phenomenal athletes, leagues and players and sport to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that was the one piece that, you know, was taken from 
generally speaking, from the Uber book. And then <coughs> from uh, Phil Knight, I think if anybody read it, like Nike almost died like a million and one times. You know, they, they, they did not have an easy road. And I, I think that prepared us for, as an entrepreneur, it's not always going to be easy and you're going to be flying high, but you're always on this like, uh, you're always on the verge of greatness, but also you could be going bust at the same time at some point. <laughs> so you're kind of riding this like funny way, you know, like r ride where like um, it, it's unpredictable, it's exciting. Um, but I think what I got out of it was that he was so passionate about his shoe brand and creating this brand. And like he gave up, you know, a traditional job and all these things that you know, it, it, it's, very, it's quite inspiring that if you listen to your heart or you have a passion or you're like trying to do something, like I think that that's um, for the right reasons. I think that as an entrepreneur, you can have su some success that way. Out to football and Esmerada Negron has had incredible success. We'll continue to follow her story, particularly as we focus on National Girls and Women in Sports Day. We're so glad that Anna Witte was able to spend time with Esmeralda at the convention. When we return, we meet another superstar like Esmeralda in the media world, a sideline reporter for Sporting KC, KC Current. She's got her own radio show, a massive following. We're talking about the talented and passionate Allie Trost, our next guest after this message. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps, reminding you that today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day, known as NGWSD. This year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. It's an opportunity to celebrate the accomplishments of female athletes, the positive influence of participating in athletes, and the continuing struggle for equality for women in sports. Another wonderful guest is up next, Allie Trost, who is a big-time celebrity in Kansas City where the headquarters for United Soccer Coaches is. She's a sideline reporter for Sporting KC. She also does a lot of media with KC Current, and she has a radio show for the local station 810 Sports Radio, the final whistle program. Before we say hello, it's important to point out that she is a key influencer of Kansas City right now and will continue to grow due to her connections with the Mahomes as well, which is ironic because we're taping this before Sunday, which is another big game. But with that, Allie Trost, you are an up-and-comer. Thanks for being on this special edition as we celebrate National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just, you know, honored, humbled, all the things. When I moved to Kansas City four years ago, I was working full time in a marketing role with a passion and a desire to get into sports broadcasting. And I'm so fortunate to have landed in a place that supported me, encouraged me, and really just told me that my voice and my opinion mattered. And that really kept me going. And I credit all of the amazing, passionate sports fans here for helping get me to where I am today. 
Yeah, it's pretty neat to be known as an influencer in today's world. And it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of creativity. Talk about how you've created this great following. Yeah, you know, it's funny. <laughs> My fiance and I always joke, it, it can be really hard to find your authentic voice, whether that's online, in front of a camera. I always try and be the most authentic me version of myself. Anytime that I'm in an interview, I'm doing a stand-up, I'm doing a report, I'm calling a game because that's what fans want, right? They want to feel like they're sitting in the room with you, that they're talking to a friend. And I feel like on Twitter, somehow my most authentic voice, it just always kind of comes to the surface. I don't even think twice sometimes, which is maybe, uh, <laughs> has maybe has gotten me in trouble a couple of times. No, but I, I just, I feel like I'm able to so truly just be me on Twitter and interact with fans. Sometimes it's mostly me reporting and doing work, but other times it's just me kind of talking about things that are on my mind, things I like, dislike, and that's really resonated with people. So I, I don't really have any tips or tricks. I just really love the platform. It has its its warts as well, but I think all in all, it's been a really fun place for me to just kind of interact with Kansas City fans, fans from all over the country, all over the world. You know, soccer is has been a love of mine ever since I was a little kid. I've, I've dabbled in reporting on a number of different sports, but I feel like I've always just kind of come back to soccer. And so being able to connect with soccer fans specifically has just been such a joy. As we focus on women in sports today, one of the things that I like about you is you're working with the men's team. Sporting KC is a model franchise. Their facility is incredible. Peter Vermees, who I've known since the late 80s when I was with U.S. soccer, is first class. I think he's the greatest American coach ever, one that was produced right here in this country. And you cover the men's game from your point of view. Talk about that honor, because we're going to get to the current, but the fact that you're also working at such a high level in Major League Soccer is pretty awesome. Well, I love that you highlighted Peter Vermees because I do want to talk about him first before I talk about covering sport in Kansas City. I give Peter a lot of credit for helping get me to where I am today. And it wasn't anything that he did to go out of his way and, hey, recommend me for anything. It was more so when I first started my kind of journey into reporting, I was really just doing it all on the side. I purchased my own camera equipment. I was working with the Blue Testament, a SB Nation site that does fantastic work covering sporting Kansas City and really just Kansas City soccer. And I reached out to Bad Bell over the summer in 2017 before I moved to Kansas City. I was like, hey, can I do some work with you guys? Like, I'm really passionate about getting into sports broadcasting. I love soccer. I have a little bit of experience, just like I just need a credential. And so I got credentialed for the sporting matches and I somehow... Uh, finagled my way into letting getting the communications department to let me on the field after games with my camera tripod mic set up to interview Peter Vermees, <laughs> which like had no business doing that whatsoever. But Peter always was so generous with his time. He never made me feel like I didn't belong down there, even though I was literally shooting with just like a Nikon camera that I then hooked up to my computer, edited an iMovie, and then just threw my interviews up on Twitter and YouTube. But he always, you know, sought me out after the game, made sure he stopped, never didn't have the time to interview with me. And whether it was a loss, a, a tie, a, a tough game, he always came by and, and gave me his time. That was really big for me. I think that just feeling like I I belonged was was huge and he was a, a huge 
force behind that. It's really awesome working with Sporting Kansas City and just seeing what Peter Ramiz, what his technical staff, what the players, just what ownership, every person who works with the club, um, what they're all doing is just amazing. And I'm just fortunate to be a small part of it. Great tribute to the ownership group and the tone they've set. Ironically, and almost in a very fortuitous way, the KC Current also has an incredible ownership yes. group and look to be a rising star here in this country as well. Oh my gosh. I mean, <laughs> I could take up the next hour just talking about Chris and Angie Long and Brittany Matthews and what they've done and what not just what they're doing in the NWSL, but what they're doing smack dab in the middle of the country, right? This isn't an ownership group that you're finding out in LA or on one of the on one of the coasts. This is right here in Kansas City, Missouri, which I think is just phenomenal. The fact that two of soccer's best ownership groups, in my opinion, but I, I think you could ask anyone in the sport, whether it's MLS or NWSL, and they'd say, you know, sporting Kansas City sets a specific standard and the Kansas City current are doing the same thing. And, and unfortunately, in the NWSL, there really wasn't a, a gold standard that had been set yet. I mean, we look at this last season and all of the issues surrounding um, technical staff, ownership groups, and then to see that Kansas City on the forefront of really changing what it means to be an owner of an NWSL team. This is something that is going to require a significant financial investment, a an investment in, in the players' support, just attention to detail, all of these things that I feel like hadn't really been consistent across the different teams in the league is now changing. I think any ownership group that wants to enter the league after what Kansas City has done is going to have to to step up. And I hope to also be someone that these girls can look up to like, hey, if your career doesn't take you the route of, of playing, you know, until you're however old going to the U.S. national team and WSL, there's a path in broadcasting and here's what it could look like. And I'm happy to you know, help pass along any insight, experience, mentorship that I can, because I think it's important that girls not only see the athlete side, but they also see women in broadcast type roles because, you know, growing up, that's something else I didn't really see all that much of. So I just feel really fortunate to be supported and surrounded by great owners, like the ones at Sporting Kansas City, like the ones with the Kansas City Current, and then everyone else involved in both organizations has been so supportive of me. And that then allows me to do something hopefully in the community, in the sport that will impact that next generation, which is really something that I think in the last year, uh, I realized the importance of more than any other point in my life. I'm beyond delighted to hear you reference the history of the sport, the progress it's made and your mission to make sure you can also be a voice to help other young women see you and be inspired by you. Ironically, this is the 35th edition of the National Girls and Women in Sports Day, which has been around longer than you've been on this earth. And you've been able to obviously witness the growth, particularly in the last two to three years, the movement for women in sports, the crossover like you've made onto the men's side. It's fascinating. Who have been some inspirations for you and your growth as you push forward? Some women that inspired you. The 99 Women's World Cup Championship team. I wanted to be Mia Hamm when I was a little kid. Went to the UNC soccer camp when I was like 10. Uh, met Anson Dorrance, was like, I want to be Mia Hamm. Like that was my goal. Um, so she was a big one. Really just so many of those 
those athletes on the U.S. women's national team. I just, I idolize them so much. And I think even if it wasn't directly, I guess, providing that inspiration for me as a broadcaster, I think it was more so just seeing women in a competitive environment, which broadcast is competitive, seeing women achieve such great things in sport, which sports broadcasting, while, you know, not, I'm not on the field, but just being involved in sport at a high level, like they inspired me in that way. Uh, as far as broadcasters go, I've always looked up to Erin Andrews. I think the way that she kind of paved her own way during a time where you didn't see a lot of women on, on the field covering a men's sport, she kind of showed that, hey, you can have your femininity and still be talking sports and, and professional and taken seriously. So she was a big one for me. And then, you know, today, I'd say in the last couple of years, Mina Kimes analyzing football and, and doing so in a way that is engaging. It's not condescending. It's like, hey, I, I want to teach. I want to make you laugh. I want to do these things that, you know, I think sometimes people can can take it a little too seriously when at the end of the day, it's sports, right? So I think having an example like her showing that, hey, you can know what you're talking about and have fun with it. I think she does such a great job of that. And then Laura Rutledge is just the jack of all trades. I mean, she can host, she can report. I haven't seen any role in a sports broadcasting gig that she can't do. And I, I think that's really inspiring because what we see now with the ever-changing media landscape is you can't really be a one-trick pony. You got to know how to do a, a lot of different things and you'll be called on to do a lot of different things and you'll have a long career if you can do a lot of different things. Your fiance, I understand, is the director of storytelling at Let It Fly Media, a locally based creative marketing agency. So that's a nice connection you two have. Yeah, and it's fun. We actually met while we were probably in roles more similar to what each of us do now. I like I said, full-time when I first moved to Kansas City and I was doing a lot of my sports coverage on the side, I worked in a more, um, you know, like marketing type role and Let It Fly does much more than just like marketing, but he worked as a sports anchor and reporter. So now I work as more of a reporter and he works more in like a, you know, semi-marketing type role. Again, very different, but still. Um, and we actually met at a sporting KC soccer practice, which is always just, you know, the most like, of course you guys did, uh, thing. but I feel very lucky to be in a relationship like that. I feel lucky to be talking to Allie Trost, who works with sporting KC, the KC current. She also does a radio soccer show for the local station, 810 sports radio called the final whistle program. Here's the final whistle. It is national girls and women in sports day. And whether you like it or not, this following that you have now, girls are watching you. That's my final question. What is your message to young girls that want to work in sports? One, be you. I, I know that sounds like so simple and easy and like, well, duh, but it can be hard. I think in a setting where you might be kind of paving your own way, you might be the only person who looks like you or, and it's really important, I think, to, to never lose sight of who you are and to embrace some of, of the amazing things that you bring to the table. Sometimes you're going to be the only girl in the room and that's okay. There's, I think there's power in that. There are things that you can provide as a woman that whether it's perspective or general approach, you don't need to try and, and mask any of the things that make you uniquely you. I don't like using the word networking because I, I think networking implies that like you're always needing to get something out of it. But relationship building is last year was hands down the biggest year in my career. And there are a lot of things 
that I'm very proud of, but the thing I'm most proud of are the relationships that I built with the coaches, the players, the broadcast crews that I worked with. Those are the things that will, one, keep the job fun when you are working with people that you enjoy working with and people that you care about and they care about you. And relationships will just take you far. Where can people find you as we say goodbye to this super talented <laughs> Allie Trost? Well, you can find me on just about every social media at Allie Trost. Twitter's where most of my sports stuff is. You can find me on the KC Current social media pages, the Sporting Kansas City social media pages, Sports Radio 810. Um, I'm just about everywhere, but uh, I'll be adding another name. So uh, Martin, if uh, still trying to figure out what to do there, but Allie Trost Martin is what you can uh, look for come June. <laughs> awesome. Congratulations on your wedding. Thanks for making a difference as we recognize National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Pleasure having you on, Allie. Good to get to know you. Thanks, Dean. Thanks for having me. Allie Trost is keeping the game beautiful, and so is the youngster, Anna Turry, who at 12, 13 years old, started a podcast called Keep the Game Beautiful, and she is a rock star. Anna Turry, after this message. We bet you didn't get into this business for the back office duties. That's why we created League Apps, the industry's leading youth sports management platform. So you can spend less time with busy work and more time doing what you love. League Apps provides organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. Go to leagueapps.com to learn more. League Apps is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This year is actually the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. All of our guests today are inspiring women, including young women like Anna Turry, who is the wonderful host of the podcast called Keep the Game Beautiful. She's a referee. She's a soccer player. She's even a wrestler. She does it all. And she has made an impact on United Soccer Coaches for a long, long time. And I welcome you on National Girls and Women in Sports Day, Anna Turi. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So when you hear it's National Girls and Women in Sports Day, how does that make you feel? It's really important that we have a day for ourselves to celebrate women and girls in sports. I don't think we get all the recognition we deserve and we don't always have the idols to look up to. So having platforms like this, we can help get names out there and help people be recognized in their sports. Let's remind everybody your story. You started this Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. I was reading because there was one game where you couldn't play. You might have been injured. I don't totally remember, but you heard a lot of critical people talking about the referees, talking about the players, and you're like, you know what? We got to keep this game beautiful, right? Was that, uh, can you break down that story? Yeah, so I had gotten a concussion from water skiing, and we already paid for the hotel and everything. We had to drive up to Chicago, so we decided to go, and we watched a lot of games there, my dad and I, and I heard a lot of negative and didn't really enjoy it. We had listened to a lot of podcasts on the drive up as well, and the idea kind of came to me, what if I started a podcast? And then we were thinking of names and it's just keep the game beautiful. It was right there. I don't even know how I knew it at that age, but it was just seemed perfect right in the moment. Remind me how old you were when you started that, Anna? I was 13 when I came up with the idea and my first episode was released on my 14th birthday. And how old are you now? 16. 16. And you are a fast tracker. The word is you're already going to college right next fall. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
How did you do that? I'm committed to play at EW Stevens Point and Don Crow takes the team to the World Cup. And that was a huge interest of mine from the very beginning. And I had thought of maybe graduating just and going for the spring semester, but everything kind of worked out where I had all my credits and I could just graduate this year and go a full year early. Well, and what I meant by how did you do that? Most people are like almost 18 when they graduate. What made you have this fire, this desire to get your high school education over with so quickly? It just seemed perfect right then and there. I had everything kind of already done. I've already always been a little bit of a ahead. I took a bunch of online college classes as well. And it, I've always been a pretty motivated student. I've had my struggles this year, though, graduating soon. A little bit of senioritis, but... I've been pretty motivated and just kind of pushed through. And I think I'm mature enough where I'm able to go and adventure the world a little bit more on my own sooner. What do you think or who do you think was your inspiration or drive to do that and do this podcast and be an established player and a referee and wrestle as well? I mean, your work ethic at such a young age is just remarkable. I'm not sure. I think in terms of soccer, my first coach ever, Hank Rook, he is one of the AYSO local commissioners, and he's really what inspired my love for the game. He got me involved with refing and the AYSO VIP program, which helped me find what I want to major in. And he just really helped me find my love for the game. But also a huge drive for me has been my dad. He's always been there by my side, helping me out. He's my sound director going everywhere with me. And it's just been amazing to see how proud he is of me as well. You know, I had a nice conversation with your dad out in Kansas City, and he's such a sweet man, and he obviously loves going with you to the convention every year, and he told me that he asked you if we could, uh, you know, you guys could make a deal, and you could do that every year for the rest of your life, and you didn't totally give him 100% lock on on that one, Anna. <laughs> no, not 100% lock, but I think he would enjoy it. All right, awesome. We're here with Anna Turi, who is the amazing host of Keep the Game Beautiful. As you... um are here now with it's a lot of talented women. Amanda Vandervoort is on this show. Jessica McDonald is on this show. Allie Trost is on this show. And the list is endless. And they all kind of gave messages to young women out there. You're still a young woman, but how about young girls? What's your message to them about pursuing their dreams? I would say just keep going. It can get hard and challenging and there are so many bumps in the road, but you can keep pushing through and keep doing it. I never expected where I would be here three years ago when I started the podcast. I didn't think I would be going to the convention and meeting so many amazing people, but you just have to push through the hard times and soon enough, you'll see all your hard work pay off. And I'm still not fully there, but I know I'll keep working and working and eventually I'll be where I want to be. Keep the game beautiful. You've had a lot of great guests. This is always tough to ask, you know, who are some of the more memorable ones, but uh, hopefully you were thinking about that a little bit as you think about some of the guests that have been on your show. Who are some of your favorites? Last year at convention, I had April Heinrichs on, and that was absolutely amazing. I have loved that one for a long time. I also had Amy Griffin on during this past convention in Kansas, and she's just an amazing person, really funny. And she kind of gave me some great advice, which really helped me. Those were probably two of my favorites, but also some names that aren't as well known. I had three college athletes come on and talk about kind of the tragedies in their life and how sports have helped them overcome it. And that was really interesting to me as well. 
National Girls and Women in Sports Day, the talented youngster, Anna Turi, who's also the host of Keep the Game Beautiful. I like the fact that you already mentioned a coach. Coaches can make a big impact on not just girls, but boys as well. And you mentioned one coach already, but can you talk about the importance of coaches understanding their role? Because sometimes coaches have a bigger influence than even your mom and dad. There was a period where I didn't really have the best coaches, and that's when I wanted to turn away from the game. I was no longer wanting to go to practice, no longer enjoying games, and I had a fear of playing. I was scared of making mistakes because I felt like I would be not disowned, but the coach would be really mad at me. And that did not help for my love of the game, obviously. It didn't grow. I plateaued, but then I was able to come to Chicago convention three years ago, it must've been. And that really helped me find my love for the game. I met coaches that really appreciated their athletes and talked with them about how they help their athletes learn from mistakes. And it just had all the impact of me on the world. A bad coach can make a player quit. And that's, that's all it is. A bad coach can make the player hate the game. And we don't want to turn young girls away from the game because it's so important that we grow the numbers. You know, you've mentioned um, people being critical. It's not easy being a referee. And the fact that you are not only a player, but a respected referee and one that I think appreciates referees. I saw a post recently where you were able to visit again with Christina Uncle, one of your original guests, and she's one of the best referees in the world, I think. Talk about what, what was it about referees that made you want to get into refereeing and appreciate referees? It was my very first coach, like I said a while ago, but he got me into taking the course and I wasn't fully convinced. I kind of did it because it definitely would help with my volunteer hours and it was a good way to get outside and running. And then I actually had a really bad experience where the police had to come escort a parent from the touchline of my game, a 10U AYSO like semifinals or something like that. Very unimportant to the rest of the player's life. But that actually made me love refereeing more. I understood it better and I understood myself better. And it made me find my drive for refereeing to help young girls and boys as well find a love for the game and enjoy the sport and also play it safe and well. And now every time I get yelled at, I remember it can't be worse than the police escorting the parent away and I can just bounce back from it and keep going. What do you enjoy more, playing? I think you're a goalkeeper or a refereeing. That is a very hard choice. I think playing, I don't get yelled at as much, at least by my coach right now. Maybe Dawn will start to yell at me in a while. She might be mad I said that. But I don't know. I think I like them both the same. They're both have their, their positives and the negatives, but they both bring me so much joy. And then what's this wrestling thing? Just kind of out of nowhere, you just said, yeah, I'm going to wrestle as well. Tell me about that. Explain that for me, will you? Yeah, freshman year, I had an upperclassman that I really looked up to and convinced me to go out for wrestling. It was a brand new program. She was going to wrestle because all her brothers had wrestled and she was trying to get more girls out for it. And because I looked up to her so much, I was like, I wanted to give it a try. I wanted to be like her and step in her and her shoes. But I ended up loving it more than I thought I would. I had no idea what wrestling was. She asked me and I had to go home and look up wrestling matches and the rules, but went to, I went to my first practice and absolutely loved it. I think about wrestling and I think about cutting weight and lifting weights and running and sweating and all this hard work. 
I had a cousin that made it to the state championships in wrestling and he was at 98 pounds and always had to lose like 10 pounds before every match. Uh, on the women's side, do you have to worry about all of those things? Sometimes. It really depends on the tournament, but because numbers are so low right now, we don't necessarily have to worry about weight or anything because they just want us to wrestle and get out there. Hopefully we will get to a point where the numbers grow and we do have to make weight because that does signify we've kind of made it as a sport. But for a while, we weren't even a sanctioned sport. We were actually sanctioned last weekend while I was at convention. And it's been kind of hit and miss kind of what the rules are where just because we don't have we weren't a sanctioned sport before. Very unique, special person you're hearing from Anna Turi, who at 12 years old, I think you said 12 or 13, started this amazing podcast. You know, I'm going to flip the switch here because each episode you ask three questions. So I'm going to ask you those same questions. What does the beautiful game mean to you? It means everything to me. It is practically my life. I breathe, sleep and eat it sometimes, but it's a place where I can just go and be myself. And I also see different parts of myself. I see the player in myself. I kind of think of that as like the kid in myself where I'm able to just go out and have fun. And then the referee where I'm able to control everything, not everything, but most of the things happening on the field. And then also the coach where I'm able to help teach and grow athletes. Your next question that you ask everybody on your show, what are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? I think I do quite a lot. At least I hope I do, especially with my podcast, getting great stories out there from people you may not even know but also refereeing. I try and keep everything positive and make sure we have fun, but also keep everybody safe while I can. And finally, how do you inspire others to keep the game beautiful, Anna? Again, probably through my podcast, sharing positive stories, hopefully uplifting someone's day. And that's my main goal. I don't have a certain number I want to reach. I just do this to hopefully impact others, but also help myself. Finally, today, as part of National Girls and Women in Sports Day, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation, it's viewed as an opportunity to celebrate the accomplishments of female athletes, the positive influence of participating in athletics, and the continuing struggle for equality for women in sports. I think even since you've started your incredible podcast, the progress that women have made on the field in the broadcast booth, as coaches, administrators, I feel like the upward tick is there. What are your thoughts on the progress for women in sports? I think we're definitely seeing progress, but I do wish it were quicker and I wish it were smoother, but it is what it is right now. We're just working our way up. When I was younger, I didn't even realize that there was inequality and need for change. But now that I've learned more throughout the game, I realize how different it is and how important it is that we inspire young girls to continue to stay involved in whatever sport they're involved in. As we end, I often ask the 30 under 30 members the crystal ball question. In your case, you know, you're how old are you now? You're 16, you said, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. So at 25, what do you think you're going to be doing? 35, what do you think you're going to be doing? What, what are your goals and aspirations? I'm not sure right now. I've been kind of off and on. I've always wanted to be a special ed teacher. That's what I'm majoring in in college. And that's always been a huge drive for me. I've always wanted to teach and especially people with impairments. I've absolutely loved that. But after a convention and kind of during, I realized there's so much more in the sport to stay involved with as well. So 
I'm kind of considering what that might look like in the future. Maybe I go for a grad assistant opportunity or maybe just stay involved in the game with a high school team or something. But I want to teach somehow. And what if I told you 10 years from now, you could join me in the booth to call a Big Ten Network game. Would you consider doing that? You ever thought about being an analyst on TV? I never really thought about it, but until recently, of course, when I started the podcast, everyone keeps asking me, what are you going to do? And a lot of people think it's media, but that was never a huge goal of mine, but I'm starting to realize I could really have a place in there as well. Yeah, you could have a place wherever you want. You are fantastic. Anna Turi, the podcast is called Keep the Game Beautiful. Anna, as we say goodbye, how can people follow you on social media and stay in touch with all the great things that you're doing? So the podcast releases, or we try to release weekly on any streaming platform, but I also have a Twitter and Instagram for the podcast, Keep the Game Beautiful. And my personal accounts are Anna underscore Turi. Anna Turi. You are keeping the game beautiful. Thanks for being a part of our amazing National Girls and Women in Sports Day release of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Always a pleasure, Anna. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for inviting me on. Are you kidding me? The pleasure was all mine. Anna Turi, what a bright future in front of her. Wrapping up our show, we are so pleased to be joined by the co-founder of the Girls Soccer Network, GSN. Jennifer Gruskoff wraps up what has been an incredible podcast with incredible women after this message. United Soccer Coaches would like to thank all 2022 convention attendees, exhibitors, presenters, and volunteers for reuniting in Kansas City. You can relive all of the special moments from the awards banquet and All-America ceremony and reception by watching the recordings now available on unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. Remember to save the date for the 2023 convention in Philadelphia, January 11 through 15, 2023. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Today is National Girls and Women in Sports Day. This year is the 35th edition of the event, which is organized by the Women's Sports Foundation. And as you've been listening all day, we moved up the podcast release today to be in alignment with this incredible day, the National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Now we'll go to the Girls Soccer Network, connecting the world through soccer. Let me tell you a little bit about it. We are Girls Soccer Network. Girls Soccer Network is a community for girls and women who love the game of soccer beyond the sidelines of the pitch. Our goal is to connect, inspire, and educate through a game that has always been rooted in community and spirit. We strive to amplify the voice and spirit of the soccerista. Did I say That's that right? right. Our, our community, they're called socceristas. Socceristas, I love it. The girl yeah. who's looking to find herself in her vision with a ball at her feet. This site is for her, and you just heard the voice there of Jennifer Gruskoff, the founder and editor-in-chief. Jennifer, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for asking me. I'm going to read a little bit from your bio. It says, soccer has been one of your favorite sports since you played on one of the original AYSO teams in LA back in the day. When your daughter took it up, the game took on a new meaning. The community culture and lifestyle that you became a part of was as fascinating as the game itself. You've connected deeply to it and found yourself wanting to make art around it, which is awesome. Your background in writing and film has made creating GSN with your, quote, soccer hubby, Michael Raimondi. Is that how you say it? Perfect. Raimondi. Yep. Raimondi, an exciting adventure. 
one that you hope you will go on with them. Jen, it's great to be with you. This Girls Soccer Network is fascinating. You were at the convention, obviously. In fact, uh, right before you came on, you said you're still going through just hours and hours of, of audio. So on National Girls and Women in Sports Day, clearly Girls Soccer Network can really scream out loud, right? Loud and proud. Mm -hmm. For sure. Being at the convention, this is actually my fifth convention. It's an event that I look forward to every year. This was our third year on Podcast Row. Yeah, I mean, I, I scream it loud and proud every day. It's my life. Just amplifying the voices of girls so that their passion and spirit is heard and we are able to uplift them and let them know that they have a safe space to show their stuff. We've been doing that now for around five years. We've grown considerably. I think our community is unbelievably exciting and supportive and fun and emotional when it needs to be. We do a lot of content around empowerment. We do content around the silliness of the game. We do content about winning and the passion for that. It's grown. It's really grown into a community that has reached the globe. I have to say, we have I've, the, the term brand equity. Apparently, we're known all around the world. So that makes me really, really happy. You can find Jen and this great network at Girls Soccer Network. It's all in the name, girlssoccernetwork.com. So talk about what was the genesis of you saying, you know what, I'm going to create this Girls Soccer Network. Can you break that down? Yeah, sure. So when my daughter decided she wanted to play soccer, of course, I took her to the local AYSO. I live in Los Angeles, so right here in LA, and she took to it. And I observed watching her and, you know, she's an athlete and I already at five, I could tell, and I was so excited. The coach had seen that I was into it. And he was a parent, you know, parent coaches. And he was like, maybe you can help me do this and that. And I said, sure. By the next year, I was coaching that team. <laughs> so then, you know, the next couple of years in AYSO, I was a coach and I, I loved it. And I met my soccer hubby, who's uh, not my husband, but the person who is my business partner, Michael Raimondi. Our girls actually went to the same school. So his daughter was an AYSO, ended up on my daughter's team, and they were both kind of the best on the team, right? So at nine years old, and by the way, you know, he's got a big production company here in LA. I'm a writer. I don't think that we're your typical soccer parents. Like we didn't have high hopes for our kids at all going anywhere with it, to be quite honest with you. We were just happy they were engaged in playing a sport. It had gotten around at their school that there was a club tryout. We live in Hollywood, all right? We live in Laurel Canyon. And the club tryout was in Santa Monica, which if you know LA traffic, right? It's, it's half hour, but it's really an hour, hour and a half sometimes. So we were like, well, we don't, you know, we think it's like, that's really logistically, like it's not, but they were like, we really, really want to try out for this club. You know, they had already, now they're nine years old. And there's that talk that, that you know, that happens with kids. And then we started to hear about these two women that were coaching. And we thought, God, you know what? It, it's great that they're female coaches. It was this club called PCSE, which is no longer there anymore. They got us to drive to Santa Monica. They tried out and it was incredible. There were like a hundred hundreds of kids trying out for this team and there are kids, you know, and I'm like, we're like, they're never going to make it, you know, we're just here, you know, anyway, they made the team. 
And that was it for the next eight years of our lives, basically. So they went from that club. We ended up managing the club, right? That club ended up folding and getting picked up by what is now the LA Breakers and then managing that team. So that's how that happened. But what happened to me and myself and Michael was we got to see the power of the game firsthand and seeing how these girls thrived, not just on the field, they were doing so much homework, they were organized. They, this, gave, this game, I believe, helped to give them the tools that they went off and you know became stellar students and have a beautiful social life. And we were amazed by the power of the game and, and also the parents who, many whom are still my good friends, and there was nothing that was feeding them off of the field. So we're in the world of content and production, right? So we would say, you know, there's nothing like they want to look at in the Instagram. There was really nothing back then. I mean, what's happened in the last five years is there's actually quite, there's a lot of stuff. And so we thought, let's put something up. Let's put up a website, a couple of social channels and, um, you know, we'll get some writers and so forth. And that's how it happened. And literally, it's just slowly grown. And um, and now it's kind of its own little animal. It's got a life of its own. We're growing and we're, you know, creating content for brands that are endemic brands, not, not the Nikes or Adidas. They're, you know, we're not big enough for them, but brands that have a lot of meaning, like Ida, like Ida Sports, they, they're the female cleat company who, of course, we're there. World Strides has been a partner. You know, we've loved to, you know, create content around the trips that they provide. So that's what we are. You know, we're, we're content creators and that's how we grow our community through content. And part of that content is a podcast as well, right? Yeah, that's correct. So we have a podcast, Give and Go. Our lead sports writer, Rotas Wadera, he runs the podcast. He's a soccer savant. He can talk to the ants endurances about every little minuscule aspect of the game. But when people want to talk about what it's like to have, you know, your period and you're a girl on the game, there's been a lot of requests for me to actually go and do this. So it was out of my comfort zone, to be quite honest with you. You know, I like to be, I'm a writer. I like to be behind the scenes. However, it was a great learning experience and, you know, I just am doing what I know to grow the sport, which is create stuff that brings people together. You're hearing the voice of Jen Gruskoff, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Girls Soccer Network, where there is all kinds of content. I like that you mentioned getting out of your comfort zone by doing the podcast. I think on National Girls and Women in Sports Day, it's not only about getting out of your comfort zone, but it's about inspiring women to get involved in sports. And, and you use the word empowering as well. What, what a great notion to encourage women to get involved in sports, right? Absolutely. I really believe that getting involved in sports is, it's truly a gift. You know, it's a gift that keeps on giving throughout your life. I've seen it over and over uh, for me. It helped me, um, it helped me escape. It helped my, me physically. It helped me obviously connect to other people who are doing positive things. And 
there's no shortage of kudos and accolades that I can say about giving a girl a ball or something, you know, it's like, I'm trying to think of the perfect met metaphor for this, but like, there's that, like, if a leaf float falls in China, you know, you feel it over here. And I, I feel the same way about girl sports. If a girl kicks a ball in China, that is resonating everywhere. It's, it's in the vibrations of the world. So yes, I am a big believer in it. You know, I'm reviewing some of your content and I'm just going to read some of the headlines to let people understand that at the Girls Soccer Network, there is a ton of variety. One says how resistance training can impact your game. Obviously you did the United Soccer Coaches recap, you know, from the convention, five helpful soccer apps you need to check out youth soccer and the ODP, what to do when you hate your soccer position. That's a great one. How climate change is impacting soccer. Some of these topics are deep and even one about, you know, the, the name image likeness with some of the women's soccer players, which I think is also yeah. great to promote, right? I mean, the variety is incredible. Yeah, no, I mean, I really come from, I'm a big magazine person, you know, like give me a Vanity Fair, give me a Time magazine. I love that stuff. It's a bit old fashioned, but this is a lifestyle community in a sense. You know, we're not, we're not a hardcore rank. We're not talking about rankings. We're not talking about only the best players. We're talking about the game holistically for girls and women. And that has so many different aspects. We have a great editorial. I love our writers. We have writers from all over the country and they're experts. We let them write about what they know and what they're passionate about. So thank you so much. Thank you for plugging our website because um, it does well, but you know we could grow it more. Girls Soccer Network news, lifestyle, profiles, culture, amazing. You've got the podcast as well. As we celebrate this National Girls and Women in Sports Day, what is your message to the young women out there? I would say let the game carry you as, as long as it makes you happy. As we head toward the end of our time, Jen, I know there was one initiative you wanted to talk about. We just launched our ambassador program, and these are the first 15 girls on our ambassador program. And they come from clubs all across the country. These are all girls that have been early responders to my mission and what I do and have shared us. And in turn, we have shared them. Some of them now have bigger followings than we do. Nothing could make me happier, right? That's what they want. They want to grow themselves. Some of them, probably two, of, maybe three of them are going to maybe go all the way. Some will we'll play D3. You know, it's not about being the best. That's not what it takes to be one of our ambassadors. It's about showing your love of the game and being able to express that in some way. We just want them to be able to express it through the content that they make. And so literally thousands of girls are now asking us how to become ambassadors. And I'm growing this program to really be kind of like the Girl Scouts on steroids for soccer, where you can earn badges, not just for your prowess on the field, but for community service. 
through things like that. So this is something that I'm so excited about and honestly keeps me up at night. I'm so excited about it. I really feel that this can change a lot of things, not just in soccer, but for girls in general. I I, I do. I got to tell you, folks, time well spent. If you go to girlssoccernetwork.com, before we say goodbye, Jen, how about your social media? Is it as simple as Girls Soccer Network or is it GSN? Tell us where to yeah. go. Yeah, so our Instagram, our Facebook is at Girls Soccer Network. Our Twitter is at Girls Soccer Net. That's simple. All right, I yeah. really enjoyed spending time with you. I love your passion for it. So glad that you were on podcast role and out of your comfort zone conducting podcasts. And by the way, I will take out the ums and uhs as well, Jen. I'll hook you up. And listen, thanks for all you're doing for girls in soccer, particularly on National Girls and Women in Sports Day. A true celebration. Really appreciate spending some time with you. Thank you. It's been so nice. And I only hope to have your skills one day. I only hope that each and every one of you listening today was moved to recognize National Girls and Women in Sports Day. Amazing women doing amazing things, pushing this game forward and opening so many doors. On behalf of everybody at United Soccer Coaches, especially Bailey Conklin, Erica Dyer, and Brandon Milburn, as well as my producer, Colin Thrash. I'm Dean Linky saying we'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Thanks for listening to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Lee Gaps. Lee Gaps is the leading youth sports management platform, providing organizations with the technology and professional development they need to run, grow, and win. To learn more about Lee Gaps, find them at leagueapps.com or as Lee Gaps on all of the social networks. And to learn more about United Soccer Coaches, visit us at unitedsoccercoaches.org.